Hi, I'm Jason Wachab, founder and CEO of MindBuddyGreen, the best-selling author of Wealth, and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review, comment, and share with your friends and family. And don't forget to visit us at MindBuddyGreen.com for your daily dose of wellness. This episode is sponsored by MindBodyGreen Classes and Trainings, where you can learn from world-class experts from the comfort of your own home. The MindBodyGreen Class Library has educational programs you can't find anywhere else. From yoga and meditation to nutrition and personal growth, our classes have something for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a wellness warrior, MindBodyGreen Classes will take you further on your wellness journey. You can find our classes at mindbodygreen.com classes. That's mindbodygreen.com slash classes. Enter the promo code podcast on checkout to receive 15% off your next purchase. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Hey, it's Jason Walker coming to you live from Mind Body Green headquarters here in Brooklyn, New York for the Mind Body Green podcast. And today we have a very special guest, the inspirational entrepreneurial leader, I think, of, of the wellness movement to a certain degree, the, the one of the co-founders and the CEO of Whole Foods Market, John Mackey here. Thank you for coming. Thanks. And you're here because John has an amazing new book, The Whole Foods Diet, which everyone has to go pick up. I just read it. It's excellent. Congratulations. Thank you. We're and, very excited about and it. Thank you for being here. We're going to put it right here so everyone, everyone can see who's watching. Uh, so I, I want to start, I'm going to go back in history. So this all started, you grew up in Houston, standard American diet, and then at age 23, you get involved with a vegetarian co-op. Could you wow. talk to me about that? <laughs> you know, I mean, I was, uh, was kind of dropping in and out of college at the University of Texas, kind of on my, following my own educational plan, yes. <laughs> a bunch of electives, and following my intellect, following my heart. And, you know, I was involved with the counterculture. Sure. And back then, and, and new ideas, and and uh, when I heard about this new co-op that was a uh, housing co-op that was opening up, that was a vegetarian for people that were vegetarian, it was going to have about you know eighteen people living there. Yeah. I thought, wow, this would be so cool if I'd move into this vegetarian co-op. I I bet you, I would meet the most interesting people there. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I did. I I met my girlfriend that I co-founded the business with, Renee, and. I wasn't a vegetarian when I went in there. I was, you know, I was a little bit scared of that part. I was like, this is going to be weird. I don't know if I don't know if I can do it, but I thought I could always, you know, sneak away if I needed to. And, you know, I, I got into it. I really, I, I, I'd found my calling. I didn't know it at the time. I learned how to cook. I became the food buyer for the co-op. I began to read everything I could about natural and organic foods. I learned about it. I thought this was just so interesting and so fantastic and so cool. And then after being the co-op for a couple of years, I went to work for a natural food store in Austin. And then from there, I just said, came home one day to the, to the co-op and said, Renee, I want to open up a store. What do you think? Let's yeah, do so, one together. So when did you, what gave you that confidence? Did something happen or, or was it the spirit you have where you said, I think we can do this and we can do it better? You know, it was more like, uh, I'm super excited about this. That's all I would think about. I would be reading and thinking and talking about, I'm sure it was very boring to anybody that wasn't interested in the same topic. And after I worked in the retail store for a while, I thought, you know, I could do this. This is within my realm of competence. I could do a store. I, I got the mechanics of how to do it. And I, I thought we could do our own small store and I'd be doing something worthwhile. I could earn a living. I mean, the company's always been very purpose-driven. In the very beginning, people say, what was your original purpose? And the original purpose was really threefold. One, I just wanted to sell healthy food to people. Right. Secondly, I needed to earn a living. And third, I wanted to have some fun. And I thought we could do all three, and we did. And all three of those are still very much alive at Whole Foods so today. Was there this vision of how many store, what do you have, 400, how many doors do you 465 have? 465 so What was the vision like back then? Was it, was it that simple or were you thinking big? No, no, we weren't thinking big. We were just thinking we wanted to have one store and the first store was a small store, as before it was called Whole Foods, it was called Safer Way. And it was an old house, it was probably, we didn't know anything about where to locate a store, so we put a store not on a busy street, on this quiet little street in this old Victorian house and we had a 
store on the first floor. We had a vegetarian cafe on the second floor. And we had a office with a futon couch in it on the third floor. And Renee and I lived on the third floor. So we literally lived in the store. And Safer Way we did for two years, funded the business on $45,000 of capital, which we lost 23,000 of it in the first year because we didn't know what we were doing. But I was learning and, and reading and testing and learning and growing and, and we made a small profit in the second year and I realized, you know, we, we're outgunned here in Austin. We're, our store's too small. We, we don't have a good location and I wanted to get a big store to be, you know, really have a real supermarket. That was my dream originally. What if there was a store that was a, just dedicated to selling natural and organic and healthy foods? And, what if we did that and it was in a real size supermarket? Wouldn't that like be the coolest thing? Because mm-hmm. no, there weren't any of those. Sure. All of the stores were tiny stores. Right. It kind of came out of the health food industry. So that was my big, my big dream originally. At my second big dream, first one was just get a, any kind of store open. The second one was let's get a real grocery store where a person like myself who just wants to eat this way all the time wouldn't have to go anywhere else. One stop shopping for people who right, want to like eat Right, like back then, what was like the biggest like co-op? Like in terms of size, we were talking like square footage, these stores were relatively small. In Austin at that time, I think the biggest one was about mm, 3,500 square feet. Tiny. Yeah, and the first Whole Foods market we opened up was three times bigger than that, 10,500 square feet. And what are the stores, are? some of your new, newer stores you're opening now? You know, it's a range, the big ones like are 75 to 80,000 wow. square feet. and, and but New York has a bunch of stores that are in the 40 to 60,000 square foot range. Sure, I remember when you opened in New York, actually, it was you tested the checkout. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. Figuring out New Yorkers don't have patience, what, how are we gonna address the lines? And I remember you first opened in Chelsea, you got it right, then all of a sudden, boom, everywhere in New York. Yeah, Chelsea was a, it's a good location, that store, even though we've cannibalized it, you know, six right. or seven times, right. it's still, key, it's, it's like a zombie, we can't kill it, it keeps, right. it keeps coming back to life. Right. It's something I want to touch on, which I think is important, and, you know, it, this, this, in the story, I think it speaks to the, the passion and, and the community element of, of being a leader in the space with, with, with Whole Foods. Early in the story, there's a, there's a flood. The disaster. Yeah. Like, talk to me about that and what happened. <laughs> the flood was, and it's like a myth now. It's right. the mythical flood. <laughs> but really it happened back. Bible. It happened a long yeah. time ago. It's part of why it's, it's mythical. Right. When we did the first big store, the first Whole Foods Market, we wanted to be on a busy road. Yep. We needed to find a big enough building. And there had been this sort of burned out nightclub called called Mother Earth, which I thought was a pretty good name. And we thought about naming the, naming it Mother Earth. But it had uh, been vacant for a couple of years. And after this fire, Austin was not the big booming growth city sure. that it is today. It was a much, no much smaller. No South by Southwest back then. There was no South by Southwest <laughs> for sure. And when we, we took it, we were told, you know, guys, you, you know you're building in the flood zone, right? I said, what do you mean the flood zone? He says, well, you're in the 100-year flood, 100 flood zone. Well, what exactly does that mean? It means, well, about every 100 years, you're going to have a flood. I thought... Those are like those odds. You know, I'm not going to live to be 125. I'll be dead. So first year we're open, nine months after we opened, Austin had the 100-year flood. Wow. In the very first year, and we had eight feet of water in the store. Renee, my girlfriend, co-founder, she literally swam out of the store that evening. <laughs> she was so devastated. So you've been at this for, what, two, two years now when this happened? Three years? Uh, well, we had Safer Way was open for a couple of years, yeah. and then Whole Foods had been open nine months. So just almost three years. Right. And I thought we were out of business. We were out of business, but it was the first real inkling I had of what stakeholders were because the community wouldn't let Whole Foods die. And we, the next day, they, we, were, we had dozens of our neighbors and customers come and help us clean up the store. Yeah. Our team members worked for free because we didn't have any money to pay them. We had uh, suppliers gave us new inventory. So we were just like, what's going on here? Yeah. Like, what are we doing? What, exactly. Why? <laughs> why? Because they loved us. They did not want us to die. And what do you think you were doing so well? We were, primary thing we were doing so well was we were selling really healthy food and it was making a big difference in people's lives. We finally had this real debt. It was like, there weren't any other stores in the United States. This, there were two or three other natural food supermarkets at that time right. in the entire country. This was one of them. I'm trying to think who they it, were just, at the time. For the people that were in the, the hippies back right. in Austin, Texas, back in 1980, 1981, right. this store was like 
the promised land, this Mecca. Right. They were like, they just loved it. They did not want us to die. That store, people say, how long did it take the very first Whole Foods market to become profitable? I say until about three o'clock in the afternoon on the first day. The store did so much more sales than we wow. ever thought it would. It became the highest volume natural food store in the United States within six months of opening. Wow. So I, I want to get back to, to the diet part of the story, you know, the book, In This Journey. How has your diet changed? So you start off vegetarian, you, you know, standard American diet, vegetarian co-op, you start eating vegetarian. So in this process, like, where are you in terms of your diet now? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. Safer Way was a very pure store. Safer Way was vegetarian. Yep. It was lacto-ovo-vegetarian. Uh, no one had heard of the term vegan back in 1980, uh, or 1978, 79. It was, we didn't have sugar. We, we didn't sell alcohol. We didn't sell, obviously, meat, uh, fish. And we didn't do very much business. And so when we opened Whole Foods Market, we merged with another small natural food store, a competitor that we were sort of friend, on friendly terms with. And they said, if we're gonna merge, you guys got it, we wanna sell alcohol, we wanna sell coffee. Was this Wild Oats or was No, 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 no. This was called Clarksville Natural Grocery. Oh, this is way back. Wild Oats, okay. yeah, this is, Wild Oats did not exist back then right. at this time. And uh, I was, you know, Renee and I weren't sure about that, but we thought, that these guys were very successful and if we wanted to partner with them, we thought they probably were on the right track. And they were. So once we did that, we had a real one-stop natural food supermarket that sales just took off. So I was vegetarian and I was vegetarian for the first several years of the founding of Whole Foods. Renee broke up with me. I got involved with another woman who wasn't a vegetarian. <laughs> and I guess slowly she got me off my straight and narrow path with not very much, but a little bit. And you a lot uh, of good barbecue in Austin. Yeah, the <laughs> barbecue wasn't the, uh, the, uh, the one that probably did me in. It, it was, uh, uh, I think, fish was the first. Really? Uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people are confused about how healthy fish is. Sure. And I certainly have been confused about it in the past. So anyhow, I, I is building the business on my diet was still pretty good, far better than the standard American diet, but right. it, it, it wasn't as healthy as it should have been. And then when I became a vegan back in 2002, uh, 2003, my diet got noticeably improved. I began to lose weight. Right. I, I uh, felt better. But I was eating what I would call not a super healthy vegan diet. Right. Well, there's the, the, the people talk about the junk food vegans. I was, and yes. there's junk food vegetarian I was, where it's, yes. you know, I was fried in, tofu. And, right. I don't think I was a junk food vegan, right. but I don't think I was a healthy vegan the way I am today because I was still eating a lot of processed foods. I would eat, you know, bag of tortilla chips. I would eat popcorn at the movies and, and, I, and I, so I'd eat a lot of oil, more sugar than I would want to eat, a lot more refined grains. And it wasn't really until I, I think I read the China study and then called it Esselstyn's Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease yeah. and then started reading my way through McDougall and Furman and all those guys and I realized, oh my God, I could be so much healthier. So were you experiencing health issues at the time? Or no. you felt good or yeah. just not as great? And where, how well, old were you? Well, you know, like my cholesterol when I was a junk food vegan was like 199. Pretty high for a junk food vegan. Yeah. yeah. Well, of course, <laughs> but my sister informed me that don't worry about that because cholesterol, it's, it's, it's genetic. Right. It runs in the family. Everybody right. has. You're just going to have to get on cholesterol medication like everyone else. <laughs> what did you say when she said that? Well, I said, I'm not, take, I'm not going to take a bunch of drugs. But then I, I, when I cut oil out of my diet, uh, my cholesterol began to plummet. And my cholesterol now is usually 135 to 140, 145 wow. overall. And my sister was very unhappy to hear that, by the way. She said, because it took the genetic argument out. I said, hey, good news. Good right. news, Dorothy. We can get your cholesterol below 150, and you wouldn't have to take any of these drugs. Right, all through all through diet, nutrition. Yes, but when I said you're just going to have to give up uh, animal foods and oil, she'd rather take the drugs. Really? Uh, well, as would most people. Do you think that's changing? Slowly, I think progress is made generationally, and or they say progress is made one funeral at a time. Most people 
once they get set in their ways, some people can change, but most people cannot. Right. So you always look for the next generation coming up who's not yet fully invested. And changing patterns of eating is very difficult. There's right. a lot of emotional attachment to it. Well, There's sure. also food addictions. Sure. Well, I was going to ask you about stress. And, you know, obviously you started off with this the very mission-driven idea of, of bringing healthy food to people. And today you're the CEO of a publicly traded company, 400 plus stores. And it, you know, there's a lot of responsibility and there's a lot of stress attached to that. I'm curious, like within, within your own diet, like how, how do you see stress playing a role in your own personal diet and your own personal health? Like how do you view stress? How do you manage stress? What do you think about stress? <laughs> well, I mean, stress is part of life. Right. And, you got to make a distinction between, say, stress that's harmful and stress that's stimulating. So stress that's harmful, we could call that distress. But another type of stress challenges you and uh, helps you rise up to the occasion. So what's the distress? It's all about the way you approach it. It's an attitude. It's all mental. If you frame it like, say, Whole Foods is, you know, we're being attacked. I'm, I'm being attacked in the media. You can get that really, you can really look at that and get really angry. Sure. You, that's unfair. You, you make it stressful. There's another way to approach it, which is, my, 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 what an interesting challenge I now have to face here. Oh my God, this is going to be fun. I am, I am going to have to really be on my game here. I've got to really step it up. I've got to be fully conscious all the time. Right. I can't make mistakes. I can't say stupid things that, you know, are going to harm Whole Foods or harm me. I've got to face up to these guys and uh, be in my higher self so every moment. Is this moment. like a muscle you work over time? Like you go to the gym, do you, do you work your, is this? It's, uh, consciousness is about being aware in the moment. And yes, it is. Muscle's not a bad metaphor for it. You right. get the, it's like anything. It's, you're not using muscle if you learn how to play a musical instrument necessarily, or learn to speak a foreign language. You do it because you practice. When you right. practice something, you get better at it. Why it is that people think to get a master, to master a language or a musical instrument takes, you know, you've heard that rule about like 10,000 sure. hours of study to yep. become a master of something. Why would we think it'd be any different with our consciousness? It's, in fact, it's, that's even maybe harder. You've got to spend a lot of time Yeah, so, so what does practicing. that practice look like for you? And, and, and talk to me about how diet is part of that practice. I mean, if you're eating a really healthy diet, then you've got the foundation. Your immune system is stronger. You resist yep. stress. It comes at you and you can throw it off because you feel good. Uh, when you feel overwhelmed and you're tired, you don't always, can't always throw the stress off and you feel like, you know, you feel like you're, you're, you're being overwhelmed. You feel like you're, it's too much. I can't deal with it. Uh, so healthy diet and exercise, meditation, healthy lifestyle, all of that gives us more resilience. It, it, it bolsters our immune system, gives us more energy. It gives us a more positive attitude. I think those are related. Part of it's the attitude that you want to adapt, which is a positive sure. attitude, and part of it's how you feel. If you sure. feel good, it's a lot easier to adapt sure. a positive attitude. They, they, they're synergistic with each other. Sure. So what does that look like for you on a daily basis? A lot of people will say who are, you know, aren't bought into this lifestyle, I don't have time. Well, I'm saying like, well, Here's a guy who really doesn't have time. You know, you know you're what? the CEO it's, of a publicly traded company simple. and you can find time. Here's a good mantra for you. There's always enough time to do what's really important. So when you say you don't have time, what you're really saying is, I have other things that are more important to me. Right. That's not that important. And yet most people don't want to be that candid with themselves or that honest. It's like, okay, I could do yoga or I could sit here and watch television or play a video game or something like that. Well, um, you're making a choice. You actually, you have time to do what's really important. What you're saying is watching this show is more important than doing yoga to me because you're making a choice. Your values get expressed in the choices that you make. Right. So. Yes, I'm a super busy guy. I, I do have a fair amount of stress coming my way, and but I constantly make choices to eat healthier. I'm going to always try to get exercise in. Sure. Let's just take you know being in New York. Uh, you know we have we have these different meetings today. Yeah. Now Brooklyn was a little too far to walk, but while we were in Manhattan, we were walking to our meetings. You know it's a beautiful day. You're getting fresh air. 
Uh, you're getting some exercise and that's stimulating your thoughts yeah. and your mind. So it's the choices that we make and you, you're always going to have time. You can always find time to meditate 10 minutes. Right. And you're a meditator. You meditate daily. Yeah. Well, or no, I, or don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if I do anything daily except possibly yeah. go to the bathroom. That's about okay. <laughs> it. But uh, I try to meditate unless I have early morning meetings. But I'll always, there's always enough time to meditate if I just schedule it appropriately. Right. And I try to particularly when you're under a lot of stress, it's more important sure. than ever that you get that quiet time to center in, in yourself. The real art of it is not just setting time aside to go to be silent, but we can meditate in every single moment of our existence by simply being fully present. A mantra that I say to myself, particularly when I'm in stress, I said it to myself multiple times today, fully present, fully in my heart, fully in my higher self, and affirming those intentions helps me to be conscious in the moment. Right. When you're fully conscious in the moment, you are in a meditative state. Right. And dealing with stress too, obviously the idea to, to, to look at it in a more conscious way, diet actually plays a pretty important role. I think, I think when people are stressed, their diet actually falters. That's when people yeah. falter, but it's actually, that's the exact point in time you need not to falter. Well, well, yes, you're correct. I agree. The challenge is, is that we have a lot of, uh, not only do we have food addictions that we struggle against, yeah. but we also have um, uh, emotional ties. So sure. sometimes when you're under stress, one of the things that you want is you just want some more pleasure in your life. Yep. And you fall back into maybe your comfort foods. Like yep. maybe you have a comfort food is uh, pizza. Right. Or macaroni and cheese. Right. Or... Uh, uh, Did you, you have know, one of those that you had to like watch out for? Earlier? I mean, <laughs> because I'm an ethical vegan, I don't have any temptations any longer to eat animal foods. That's completely, you know, I, I, I just, that's just, I, I don't have any temptations there. I'm an ethical vegan. Sure. Well, I but I mean, I mean, uh, if I'm, what I might do if I was, you know, less food conscious is I might, I might eat a dessert right. uh, or I might uh, go for a, a, you know, like a vegan macaroni and cheese, for example. Yeah. Uh, so I do not, I'm like everybody else, I'm on a journey. I do not sure. put myself out as perfect that I never do any, eat any foods that uh, uh, I, I sometimes eat foods that I wouldn't recommend other people eat. Sure. I'm not perfect, but I am fairly conscious and I'm, I'm, I'm on a journey. I'm getting better at sure. it as time passes. You, you mentioned journey. Talk to me about the journey to being an ethical vegan and what that means. You know, it's 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 I oftentimes a metaphor like turning a light switch on. You either right. see it or you don't see it. And once you see animals, once you can really like tune in to the animals, and you see, well, I, I'll just tell you a story. I tell the story in the book and sure, tell the Milton yeah. Friedman story because I think yeah, it's a good story. It's in chapter 13. <laughs> I love that you threw Milton Friedman in the book. <laughs> in chapter 13, I talk about why I'm an ethical vegan, right. more or less. It's it's change your plate, change the world. Yep. So there's environmental reasons to be. Sure. There, to be 100% plant-based, there's health reasons, there's ethical reasons, and there's environmental reasons. Yep. And I address all of them a little bit right. there. But... Uh, it was. I got to know, meet, and know Milton Friedman a little bit back before he died. A couple of years sure. before he what died. Was he like as a person? I'm curious as a Friedman fan. Sure. Uh, well, Milton was a very interesting man. First of all, I met him when he was 92. He and his wife. They were both. You know, they couldn't have been more than five feet tall. They they were both very tiny people. Super smart still. Even at 92, his mind was still like a steel trap. And a very. Uh, and Milton Friedman's name has been trashed for so many years, but he was a deeply ethical guy. Sure. And so anyway, friends introduced us. My wife and I are taking Milton and Rose out to dinner at uh, in San Francisco where he lived. Right? So Greens, yeah. a vegetarian restaurant. Yeah. So we arrive and he gives us a drink and then he shows us around his apartment or his home right. and, and shows us his Nobel Prize in economics. Right. And, and then he asked me out of the blue, he says, so John, why are you a vegan? Why are you? I said, well, Milton, I'm an ethical vegan. I'm, I'm, an, I'm a vegan primarily because I think it's the ethical, most ethical way for me to live. And I said, I'll challenge you. I will give you an argument. And if you can answer the argument satisfactorily, I will stop being a vegan. But if you can't answer it, 
then I expect you to change your diet. I expect you to become a vegan too. He thinks about it and he says, I'm, I'm on, let's hear yep. it. Milton Friedman challenge. Milton Friedman challenge. <laughs> so I said, okay, look, there's four parts of the argument. Part number one, if you're gonna eat animals, the animals necessarily have to die. There's no getting away from that. Plus, if you're eating any animal foods in the United States, more than 99% of them have been raised in very inhumane conditions in factory farms. And you are, that's just the way it is in America mm -hmm. right now. Number two, you don't need to eat animal foods to be extremely healthy. There's increasing scientific evidence that eating a plant-based diet is one of the healthiest ways we can live. Number three, we eat animals primarily because we've learned to eat them. We were trained by our parents, by our families, by our friends, and by our culture. We just see it as sort of normal. And then we grew to like the taste of them. And number four, can you justify causing the necessary death and almost inevitable suffering mm -hmm. of these animals just for the pleasure it gives you your palate? I cannot justify it, so I'm an ethical vegan. Milton, how do you justify it? He gets very thoughtful for about a minute, and then he looks at his watch, and he says, oh my gosh, we're gonna be late for the dinner reservation, it's time to go. <laughs> so I think, okay, he's copping out here. And we, we drive, and he's, he's very quiet in the car, except to give me directions. You take a right here, you take a left up there, and we get to the restaurant, and, and, uh, and we sit down, and we get the menus handed out, and everybody picks up their menu. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, ah, this guy's dodging the question. He's not gonna answer the question. Right. And then, so I start to study the menu to figure out what I'm gonna eat. About a minute after looking at the menu, Milton Friedman throws his menu on the table, and he says, Rose, I cannot answer John's argument to my satisfaction. I have no choice. From this point onward, I'm going to become a vegan. <laughs> and I was like super pumped. Right. And then what was even more delightful was Rose then throws her menu down on the table and says, Milton, don't be ridiculous. We're 92 years old. It's too late for us to become vegans. <laughs> I love it. So I don't know exactly how that story ended. He right. died a couple of years later, right. and I'd like to think, you know, he's had he a, he's a great- gave a couple more years. <laughs> I'd, like to, well, he, he, I'd like to think that he, uh, you know, actually became a vegan, right. but I never know. He was married to Rose for over 68 right. years. Right. So as a man who's been married for 25 years, um, I found it to be good marital strategy to right. uh, uh, concede most points to my wife. Right, it's a good <laughs> strategy. There's one lesson people get out of this. <laughs> so, how do you? Is the goal of this book? Because you know, you you don't have to write books. You don't even know you're. I had to you, write this one. But but yeah, talk to me. Like, why did, did why did you have to? write this book? I had to write Conscious Capitalism and I had to write this book. Those are the two books that I absolutely right. had to write. Those are bucket list books. Well, because I'm a very idealistic person. Right. And Conscious Capitalism is my statement about the way business could be and should be, and I hope someday will be. And this, this, book, is, this book will help people. If you read this book and follow this program, I mean, at Whole Foods Market, Jason, we've got a program we call the Total Health Immersion. We spend, we talk about it, we've got people in the book that have been through it. We sent over 4,000 people through our Total Health Immersion. Our sickest team members, those who are obese, those who have type two diabetes, those who have heart disease, yeah. or those who just are high risk because mm -hmm. of their biometric uh, scores. And it costs us about $4,000 to send somebody to a one week, medically supervised immersion. We take all their numbers when they first get in, right. and, then, and then for one week, completely control their food. We eat the Whole Foods diet for right. one week. And in a week, it's astounding how much people can, progress people can make. I mean, they, their cholesterol can drop 40 or 50 points. Their blood pressure can drop 20, 30 points. They can lose seven to 10 pounds if they're obese. And then if they stay with the program, they'll reverse their type two diabetes in, in, in just you know a few weeks and get off their meds. They'll lose 100 pounds in less than a year if they're obese. Uh, it's it's simply astounding. I, I actually had no idea until we started doing it how quickly, because my, my journey was took longer. I mean, so my progress is made, measured in decades. And here, if if you get the food right and people really understand it and they, and they eat this really super healthy food, they heal very quickly. 
And so, like, how can I not? I have an ethical obligation to okay, share this. That. Do, you, do you feel, as the CEO of Whole Foods, you have an ethical obligation? To I, I, not as the CEO of Whole Foods Market, as a human being. Right. Look, I see people that are sick. Right. And I think to myself all the time, I could help you. Right. If you would listen, if you would listen and try this, you would stop suffering. How can, how can I have this knowledge and not want to share right. it? So you mentioned this idea of turning on the light. You know, and talking about becoming an ethical vegan. Right. What do you think for for a lot of people? Unfortunately, their their health journey begins is a reactive journey to a health scare. Without having a health scare, what do you think is how how can we turn on the light for more people to embrace a more plant based lifestyle? It's a good question. I do think the health care. Like it usually works happens like people. I mean, Sometimes I just heard the story yesterday, so it's fresh in my mind. Uh, uh, we did a, we went and talked to Goldman Sachs about the Whole Foods diet there. I talked about sure. the Whole Foods diet there. Well, one of the uh, one of their young associates, a young woman who's 24 now, came up to me and I did a book signing, and she told me that uh, Whole Foods saved her life. Yeah. She said, you know, I, I was. She's talking about these type of symptoms she was having and she really felt like she was dying and she was having all these reactions and her whole health was starting to just fail on her. And the doctors couldn't figure it out and they were, they were prescribing all these different drugs for her, testing her, and, they, sure. and she didn't really know what she had. But she began to eat a 100% plant-based organic diet. And she said it all cleared up for her in just a few weeks when she started doing that. So she was like super jazzed up. So health scares can make a difference for sure. people, but your question is, how do we get people to do it? Yeah, and I think it's hard, especially with the ethical, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who are ethical vegans, and it's something a lot of them had at a very early age. Right. You know, there was a moment, a friend of mine, you know, was, 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 I was actually interviewing here, and she said she was eight years old and went to a ranch in Colorado where they got to meet the cattle and then eat the cattle, and she was like, I'm out. Right. And that was the moment. Paul McCartney said, if people, if every, if, if slaughterhouses were in glass cages, everyone, or in glass, glass buildings, right. then everyone would be right. a vegetarian. Right. I mean, most people don't want to know, out of sight, out of mind. They, they, if you begin to even try to talk to people about animal suffering, most sure. of them are la, 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 sure. I don't want to hear, don't, I don't sure. want to talk about this, it's too disturbing. Sure. So they're pushing, pushing it out. One of, the, one of the ways that sometimes you can get people to change, like I have a friend who's an incredibly physically fit guy. He's a rock climber, he's working out in the gym, he's really into self-improvement. Mm -hmm. And I was able to get him, I said, you know, Heath, you are fit, but you're not healthy. Right. You could be so much healthier. And since you're a guy that's totally into self-improvement, wouldn't you want to improve your health? And he said, well, yeah, I'm kind of interested in that. I said, well, here's what I want you to do. I, I took him to this uh, McDougal, John McDougal sure, Advanced yeah. Study Weekend in Santa Rosa. And, and I said, I want you to get your biometrics. And then I, here's the deal. For four weeks, you got to eat this way. And fortunately, he is the husband of my my uh, executive assistant. Okay. So, and she eats a really healthy diet. So I said, for one, for four weeks, I just want you to eat exactly the way evening is gonna cook for you. Sure. Just promise me you'll do that. Take all the, we get your, all your cholesterol, your blood pressure, your weight, we'll get all your biometrics measured. And then four weeks later, I want you to check it again. And he did it. And he was amazed. He was a guy, so I was super fit. He lost like, in those, in the, he lost like eight pounds Right. of fat. So he, he loved that. And he's a guy that measures his, you know, not only his body mass index, but his overall, his body fat composition went down. He loved that. His cholesterol dropped like 80 points. Wow. And uh, he even, his blood pressure, which he thought was pretty good, it was like 120 over 80, went down to like 108 over, you know, like 65. He wow. was like pumped. And this was just in 28 days. Wow. And then he kept a track of it. He kept kind of this diary of his progress. And after a year, he was like, he was, you know, he's younger than me. He was like a super healthy guy. Right. And now he's like, so that's one way to get people. You talk right. about challenging them to upgrade. Here's, let's upgrade. Let's, let's right. get 2.0 you. Right. You can, you can, uh, you can do so much better. There's the ethical arguments and, uh, 
people either get those arguments or they don't. I mean, they, they, I, a lot of people I make that argument to, they can't answer it. They just don't care. What about the top of the food chain kind sure. of thing? What about the spiritual argument? Spiritual argument can be very powerful as well, right. but only for people that are interested in spiritual right. things. A couple of friends of mine are meditation teachers, and really, at this moment in time, we're actually like really selling that their meditations are so much more powerful on a plant-based diet versus not. There's they many. A lot of meditation, of course, comes out of India, sure. where they're lacto vegetarians for yeah. the most part. The Hindus are, and. The teachers say that all the time, that sure. if you, you will get a deeper meditation experience if you will stop eating animals. Sure. And something else I think is very timely is the environmental argument. If you're really truly committed to being an environmentalist, you gotta, you've got to be plant-based. I mean, that's just simple. It, the, the math is compelling. I mean, 18% of the greenhouse gases at least, and that's maybe a low estimate, come from our animal food productions. We're taking valuable pasture and valuable farmland and we're converting it into feeding animals. I mean, something like 90% of the corn and, and soy that we grow in this country is fed to the animals. So speaking of corn and soy, so it reminds me, so, you know, the U.S. food system, right, and, and and where we are today. What do do you think the USDA and the food system like? We we've come a long way. Like where where, where are we today? Have have we progressed, and where do we need to go to have a food system that is sustainable? Well, if you think about it, that we're going through an evolutionary process. So we could take that, and I would say there could be four stages to that. Uh, there's more stages, but I'm going to start in semi-modern times, where you had a traditional agricultural system uh, based on these small farms that, uh, you know, had animals on the farms and had uh, they weren't very productive, but they were they were sustainable in a way. And then we moved into more modernistic, where we applied fossil fuels mm -hmm. to the system, and we began to create the intensive confined animal uh, food production, which greatly lower the prices of animal foods, which made them cheaper, and therefore people began to eat more of them. So you have this sort of modern age, you use pesticides and use synthetic fertilizers yep. to growth, you make genetic modifications and alterations. We'll call that sort of the modernistic epic of agriculture. And now there's a, a rebellion against it, we'll call that the green rebellion, the environmental, that does, you know, organic, we want to minimize those pesticides, we sure. want to minimize these chemical fertilizers. We don't think you should be doing GMOs because you're manipulating the sure. very genetic structure of the plants. And they are sort of in rebellion against that. I, I see my own work, I came out of that counterculture, and whether I was conscious of it or not back then, I don't think I was, came later, but I was unconsciously believing that the whole system needed to become more sustainable. But I think what we need to move now is in a fourth stage. And this fourth stage is going to be this higher synthesis where we're going to take, you know, you can't throw the modern age out. Right. It's stupid. Right. We need productivity. Right. But we need that productivity to be well integrated into ecological models. We need new regenerative agricultural models that take the insights from modernistic agriculture and combine them with ecological uh, knowledge and techniques to create this higher synthesis. I think that's the next phase for agriculture. And one that I think we're, I think the millennial generation today will, that's one of their big jobs. They're sure. gonna take us there. So speaking of next phase, you know, you and Whole Foods Market in so many ways is responsible for this movement in food. We've been part of it, we've contributed and to it. Even a large, like, uh, look, I'm not like, you, you've been, you, you, you've made it possible for a lot of, you know, the way you've approached business, you, you've, you've made it possible for a lot of small vendors to grow up with you and, and, and get their start, and those brands are becoming bigger brands, and, and the, the movement has grown in a huge way. And where we were five to ten years ago is, is not where we are today. Where it used to be, Whole Foods was you know if you if you wanted natural organic, you had to go to Whole Foods. 
and and I, we still people still go and lots mm-hmm. of people still go and super successful but now you've got copycats you've got you know people throwing in a set in their store here set you know their own sections and and, and we've come a long way you know right. wellness in my point of view wellness is just, this is just the way we live and so how do you as a ceo and, and as a brand like take things further you know, if people, if the consumer is starting to catch up, how you do you want to look like the whole food diet? Exactly. Well, getting into that, and like, how do you take things to the to to the next level to make this to to really advance the movement? I mean, I would say it's one of the beautiful things about um, capitalism is right. that capitalism is. Uh, you can never rest on your laurels. You can't just, uh, it's dynamic. Uh, if, when you're successful, you get imitators. People copy sure. you. And that's a good thing. It forces you to get better and improve. And that's how the society overall improves. Plus, you get new entrepreneurs. They don't have to fight the same battles Whole Foods fought. Sure. They, can, they can stand on our shoulders and, and go further. And there's more evolution, more disruption occurring right now in food in the last 10 years, sure. I would argue, than possibly the previous couple thousand years combined. Sure. It's, it's very interesting in food right now. There's so many interesting, cool stuff happening. And, I mean, Whole Foods is, uh, we're still part of that. We're still doing super cool stuff. But uh, we're not so alone anymore. That's kind of a good thing. I mean, if you remember that reason I started Whole Foods, we want to sell healthy food to people and earn a living and have some fun. Well, we well, can we've say done mission that. accomplished, but then where mission, do you go from there? Well, mission is accomplished, right. but then you create new missions. And part of the new mission, I mean, in the deepest sense, is at the same time Whole Foods market's grown very rapidly and we've been able to help a lot of people live healthier lives, the overall macro trends in the society have gotten worse. I mean, when I got started, about 15% of the of the population in America was obese, and now it's 38%. 71% of adult Americans are overweight, 38% are obese. Type two diabetes is rampant. Heart disease is just about as bad as it was 40 years ago. Cancer has gotten worse. So, Have you ever done studies? Like I know, you know, Dan Buettner, a friend, you mentioned in the book, yes. like he does his blue zone studies. Yeah. Have you ever done studies what happens to a neighborhood? when Whole Foods comes in, in terms of like health and bio, I think that would- We've not even done a study, although that I think there might be some people that have done studies, but Whole Foods has never done a study. We, we do know that when we go into a neighborhood, it transforms itself over a decade. One of the things that happens is, if you're a homeowner, that's a very good thing for you yeah. because your housing values are going up. Yeah. And new people are trying to move in to be closer to Whole Foods, that's increasing property values, as well as they're upgrading the housing stock that's around the store. And that creates new businesses coming in as well. I mean, one of the jokes we say at Whole Foods Market is that we could have made a lot more money in real estate exactly. than yeah. we were selling groceries right. if we had just buy real estate around our new stores and right. uh, be patient, it'd become worth a lot more money. So there's kind of a gentrification that occurs. Sure. Some people deeply resent that as well, I might say. There's a counter argument, which is Whole Foods is messing up the neighborhoods. I don't know, know. I, I also think it's fair. I remember when you opened the store in Oakland, well, the first store in Oakland, this mm-hmm. was like seven, eight years yeah. ago, and you really embrace the I, the neighborhood sure. and the culture. And you've we always want to be good citizens. Yeah, exactly. Like to me, I thought that was, I, I walked in and I've been to like 200 Whole Foods. So. That is a great store. Though, it, but it's a great store. store, but it felt like I was still, it was, a, it, was, it was very clear it was a Whole Foods, but I felt like it was in the neighborhood. We, we try to, we're like custom home builders. Whole Foods is a big chain, but every one of our stores is kind of unique. We want to, first of all, we want to keep making them better, and we also want to adapt them to the marketplaces, we've, the neighborhood, the community that we're part of. So, you so can getting, get a surfer store in Southern California that you won't find in New York, for example. Which one? Well, like Huntington Beach. It's I a surfer that store. one. Or, okay. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I need to go to that one. Uh, Are you a surfer? No, but I've been to a lot of Whole Foods. <laughs> what's, your, what's your favorite one? I love, I, I think the Oakland one is really unique. I love going to the headquarters in Austin just to see what you guys are thinking about. You know that the, for two consecutive years, the gold winner, we, every year we announce our top stores in the company, and our Brooklyn store has been the gold two consecutive what, years. The one in Gowanus, yeah, yeah, yeah. third and third. I've been to that one. I like that's, that. That's we've that's been our top store for interesting uh, two years in a row. Really, yeah. And I also like the one in El Segundo. I don't know where they fall in sales. El Segundo is like a good store. Yeah, 
We've opened another store not too far from El, Gazin, uh, El Segundo that you ought to check out in Playa Vista. I've heard about that. Yeah, Silicon, what do they call it? Silicon, Silicon Beach? Yeah. Silicon Beach there. And I've been to the 365 in Silver Lake. You I are. I'm very, I'm, you're, I'm very impressed. So I, long story, I used to run an organic chocolate chip cookie company that was in every Whole Foods in the country 10 years ago. You did? What was the yeah. name of that? Crummy Brothers. Crummy Brothers. I've had those cookies before. Yeah, Perry oh, Eben- wait. No, I haven't. Perry Ebenate. They're not <laughs> vegan. When Perry, when Perry worked for you, Perry was... Uh, Perry, yeah. Yeah. Or Perry. Love, yeah. Um, so I've been to a lot of Whole Foods. But, but getting, getting back... To the book and, you know, the future, you know, how much do you think, if we, as we talk about wellness, like how, how critical do you think a plant-based diet, you know, if you're talking about 30 years ago, very critical to wellness of creating a place where people could, you know, purchase natural and organic foods and, and make that available to people. With that in mind, is part of the new mission getting more people attuned to a plant-based diet? I think the most important, you know, I mean, we, we have two rules in the whole foods diet. The first rule is eat real foods. Don't eat these hyper-processed foods. Don't eat sugar, oil, refined grains. Eat real food, more fruits and vegetables, and uh, whole plant foods. Yeah. That's the second rule is eat 90 plus percent plant foods. Right. But if you were to ask me which rule is more important, the first rule is more important. And that's the reason that a lot of people flourish on a paleo diet. The paleo diet is so much better than the standard American diet that if you switch to a paleo, sure. you're going to get good results from that initially. In the sure. long run, you're eating way too much well, animal food. I think where, we pro- where people run into problems with diets, specifically labels, if we talk about the vegan label mm-hmm. and the paleo label, is people come in, here's something where you know they can possibly lose weight, feel better. And it starts, what's interesting is both diets at their core, if you talk to the real people who are doing them, start as a plant-based diet, whole foods, and then it quickly goes to what's the fake food I can get to satisfy that craving. Like exactly. if I'm paleo, but I'm having the paleo you know, snickerdoodles all the time, or if I'm vegan and I'm having the fried tofu Twinkies, we're not really in the same place, which is why the plant-based. Yeah, I'm not going to name <laughs> these burgers, but there's two burgers out there right now that are kind of getting all this publicity. I know exactly who they are. <laughs> and but if you go look at the ingredients right. on the burgers, they're not healthy. You know, one has got uh, isolated pea protein. The first sure. three ingredients, isolated pea protein, coconut oil, and uh, canola oil. Those are sure. the three super highly processed sure. foods. That's not even a real food. You're not going to be healthy eating that kind of, right. that's junk, that's junk vegan food. Right. And so what's the biggest, you know, for people out there who need to pick up this book, which everyone does, like, wh- what do you want people to walk away with? You know, if people read this book, several things are going to happen. One is, so many things are confused about. They're not going to be confused about anymore. We try to take on the confused areas and shine the light based on this, where the science really is. Second, it's the kind of book when you finish it, you're, you're definitely going to feel smarter because you're going to understand those things. And third, I hope that you will dedicate yourself to eating more real foods. If people just ate more fruits and vegetables, if they would get that up to five to ten servings a day, their health would make a noticeable leap. Right. It's... Americans are too concerned about having deficiencies. They're so worried they're going to be deficient in something. Right. They never think about the opposite. What they, it's the real problem is not deficiencies. The real problem is excess. The excess calories, excess protein. It's like, where do you get your protein? It's like, where do you get your protein? And protein is in every whole food that you eat. Right. It's, it's, how do you not get all your protein? Right. But if you're eating a bunch of, of uh refined foods, then the real question is, where are you getting your fiber from? Because we need to eat massive quantities of fiber. So I would like people to take away that they're going to eat more real foods, eat more fruits and vegetables. And yeah, mostly plants. I mean, Michael Pollan said it pretty well. He didn't say eat real food. He said eat food. But I think he meant eat real food. (laughs) uh, Mostly plants and not too much. I mean, that's a... That could be the mantra for the movement. Michael's one of the whole foodie heroes we recognize in the book. So I have one last question that's sort of a three-part question. So in five years, where do you want to be? Where do you want Whole Foods as a company to be? And where do you want us as a culture to be? 
I'm so glad you said five years because usually people say 10 years and I always say you can't 10, predict ten years. You can't. Nobody was on <laughs> Uber 10 years ago. I mean, people were just getting smartphones about 10 years ago. I no mean, Instacart. No, no Instacart, <laughs> no Instagram. Uh, right. Facebook was kind of getting cranked up. Right. I mean, it was a very different Five world is 10 reasonable. Years ago. Five years reasonable, and you won't look too foolish. Right. Um, well, I know where I want to be in five years. I want to make sure Whole Foods Market is really flourishing and healthy again, growing that we've made this, we need, to, Whole Foods is in this evolutionary transition. Yeah. And in five years, that transition should be largely finished. So uh, that's part of why I've gone back to be the sole CEO is I really want to get Whole Foods focused back where it needs to be. And then maybe, you know, then my own time as a CEO will be, will be, I think probably done. I'll know when it's time to go, because right. it'll be that calling in my own heart sure. will say, I'll have a calling for something else and that one will be left behind. Where do I think um, uh, the world will be or the food movement will be? I really hope that it'll be people eating more real foods, mo mostly plant-based. I think that is the healthy trend that we need to follow. I think both are important. Right. Both rules are important. And I think there's a good chance because I think that's where the science is. I also think we're going to have continued food disruption. Right. I think in five years you'll be able to get any food that you want delivered to wherever you want in an hour or less, in a lot of cases 30 minutes or less. So if, if you really want, I just think there's so much entrepreneurship, there's so much disruption, there's so much change going on, and I don't anticipate that's going to slow down. If anything, it's going to be even more intense five years from now. It is right now. It's going to be really fun. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I was going to say, well, really, this is the last question. What has you most excited? When you wake up in the morning, what, what gets you excited to get to work and get going every day? I'm excited about I think so, a few things I can't talk about. I mean, okay. I'm a, <laughs> I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. And so one of the things people don't understand about entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs are highly creative people. And a lot of times when I'm talking to people, they say, gosh, you know, do you ever think Whole Foods would be this big? Uh, you must be so proud of what you've accomplished and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's what I've done in the past. It's like if you ask an artist or a, somebody who's writing novels or something like that, what they're excited about is what they're working on now, right. not what they did in the past. I mean, it's like the fun part is the creating part, you don't not contemplating what you've created. Right, or, 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 or looking at your trophies. Or so your what own. I'm excited about are the projects that we're working on now, of which, I mean, 365 is one of them, and that's out there, Huge so I can projects, talk about yeah. that one. But um, there's other projects that we're working on I can't talk about because okay. they haven't been announced Maybe yet. Next time we'll but I'm like super that. excited about those. Those okay. are like, I'm super pumped up. I think we're going to be doing some really, really cool stuff. Amazing. Yeah. John Mackey, thanks so much for coming on. Everyone, you got to check out the book, The Whole Foods Diet. It's got everything in here, tips, recipes. Anyone who's looking to eat a more whole foods, plant-based diet, check it out. It's amazing. Thanks, Jason. Thank you so much for coming. It's an honor. Thank you.